My name is Pete McCall, and welcome to episode 53 of All About Fitness. Today on All About Fitness, I speak with my first CFO. That actually stands for Chief Fitness Officer. I know we're used to CFO standing for something else, but uh, today I'm speaking with John Wolf, who is the CFO, the Chief Fitness Officer for Onnit. Onnit was one of these companies I hadn't heard much about, and, and to be honest, I didn't really hear about it till I started listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. And of course, if you listen to Rogan's podcast, then you know uh, Onnit is a big sponsor of it, and, and I was interested in about the supplements. And so I went to the Onnit website, and I've actually been using Onnit products for a little while. I've been using their protein, their uh, recovery protein, and their pre-workout drink. Anyway, I'm not here to give a commercial, but I'm here to talk about John Wolf. Um, as a chief fitness officer, John is really in charge of the education programming that Onnit does to the Onnit Academy. And Onnit's come out. Not only do they do supplements, but Onnit also sells equipment. I did an article on the Onnit Mace a few months ago, which is how I first got to know John. I interviewed him for that article, and then I asked him to be a, a host or I asked him to be a guest. I'm the host. He's the guest. I asked him to be a guest on the podcast. So I'm actually going to have a link. If you've never used a mace or never heard about a mace, it's not just a weapon on Games of Thrones, but it's actually a really cool and unique training implement that can help you develop like unique and really killer level of fitness. Anyway, today on All About Fitness, John and I discuss a number of ways to get fit, a number of different ways, because other things that Onnit talks about or that Onnit promotes are Indian clubs. If you're not familiar with what Indian clubs are, they're an old-school fitness product that Onnit is helping to repopularize. Onnit also promotes kettlebell training and heavy rope training. Anyway, today we talk about coaching. What can you do to become fitter? Because fitness isn't just how hard you work out, but fitness is your whole approach to life. What are you doing that can actually enhance everything in your life? You know, because when you look at it, exercise is only what we do in the gym. But we have about 23 other hours in the day that we have to figure out how can we be fit for those hours. So our discussion today, as you'll see just from the, from the introduction, our discussion today starts out with fitness, but we get into a whole bunch of different things. I'm really excited for this today. I got a lot out of talking to John Wolf, and I know you'll get a lot out of this interview. So after a brief word from a couple sponsors of All About Fitness, John Wolf, the Chief Fitness Officer for Onnit. Vicor Fitness is the maker of the new TerraCore, which is a step, bench, balance trainer, and multifaceted exercise tool combined into one single platform. Go to vicorefitness.com to see the newest piece of equipment that will be taking the fitness industry by storm in 2017. Use the code AAF to save 20% on purchasing a TerraCore of your own. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Vicor Fitness. Better results from better products. Active Motion Bar is the first resistance training bar where 30% of the weight is a moving mass. An active motion bar can help you strengthen your fascia and elastic connective tissue as well as your muscle, which is important for staying injury-free during the aging process. Research has found that exercising with an active motion bar can be up to 170% more effective than using traditional weighted bars. Active Motion Bar, let the resistance move you. www.activmotionbar.com I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness. I'm sitting down today with uh, John Wolf, the Chief Fitness Officer at Onnit. Hey, John, can you give us a little bit of a background? What exactly does a Chief Fitness Officer do? 
mainly it confuses people if I say I'm a CFO, you know, uh, they think I'm in a legitimate professional career like finance or something like that. But nah, I'm, I'm a fitness professional that landed an amazing gig at this amazing company. So, um, the chief fitness officer role is something that's relatively unique to on it, at least as far as I know, uh, extremely, you know, unique to on it. And in that way, um, you know, I have my hands in anything and everything related to fitness that comes comes from on it or the on it academy. So that that has to do with uh, fitness equipment uh, design, right? So we have a lot of unconventional tools that we that we manufacture and sell. We have new stuff coming out. Some of the stuff that we recently released were like uh, licensed equipment, like the Captain America barbell plates, uh, the bumper plates, or the Iron Man kettlebell. So you get to do some cool stuff like that. But uh, mainly, before I landed this gig, I, I, I ran a gym in California, and uh, and I was brought on to run the facility that's adjacent to the headquarters, uh, the Onnit Academy or Onnit Gym, and the the secondary role, actually the primary role that got me here was for education. So uh, fitness education is near and dear to my heart. I've been teaching seminars for, for many years, and uh, coming into Onnit, that's that's been my primary role and, and one of my main focuses. All these other, all the other stuff has been just an amazing surprise, you know, to be able to do stuff on design fitness equipment and, and see that from conception to to you know, having that a physical product in hand. Uh that was something that I wasn't really aware I was gonna be doing and, and it's been a lot of fun. And that's and so your background in fitness, uh, what type of were you a personal trainer, were you a strength coach? Like what was your you know, you're running a gym, what was your like specific or formal background? Yeah, uh, you know, so um, I landed in fitness, I think like a lot of other people do. Yeah, a lot of people that define themselves as fitness professionals, not necessarily something that they knew they were going to do when they were in high school or in college. Uh, I, I was a seeker for many years, so I just did everything, you know, from hospitality, in, inbound, you know, telesales, uh, out, outbound sales, hitting the pavement, Worked in behavior sciences with autistic children, uh, worked in finance. So I've had all these different kind of eclectic experiences. And then, and through that period of time, I, um, always invested in, in my education in fitness. And, and what I found was a lot of the conventional wisdom that was out there didn't serve me as an individual the same way that I, it did when I was younger. So when I was younger, you know, you know, more like a powerlifting, bodybuilding influence was great. But as I got older, I, I just didn't get the return on investment that I wanted to see. <clears throat> and so I started seeking out information and traveling all over the United States to train with the foremost experts uh, in various different fields, like, a, you know, Pablo Satsuline or <clears throat> Scott Sonnen or when uh, the uh, American Kettlebell Club came out here, uh, went and did their certification. So... You know, there's always this ongoing evolution. Those are some early things, and then as later as the years went on, it was just uh, continue to continue to expose myself to more and more prolific teachers. And what I did was I started a fitness studio. It wasn't a a gym per se, but it was a, a five thousand square foot studio where we um, 
we brought all that information and we systematized it into something that was comprehensive and inclusive. And so, you know, at that time, most people were doing one thing or two things, you know, like say, uh, since I was RKC, most of the people have gone through RKC or now SFG, they're like, they're kettlebell centric, right? So they become the kettlebell guy or girl. Um, and also I, I, we were swinging clubs back at the turn of 2000. So a lot of people that were club swingers, they're club swingers and they might be, you know, the early adopters of a lot of, uh, unconventional movement, you know, yoga integration with calisthenics and stuff like that. So, you know, what, what we found was people were dropping themselves in different buckets and, uh, kind of pigeonholed themselves, pigeonholed themselves in, in certain ways that way. And, uh, my team and I out there, we, we just always looked at, well, how can we integrate all that information? You know, good information doesn't displace good information. And we, we deliver that in our studio. Um, and that, that's kind of like the, the early version of, of what is now our on-it education system. Now, because we're about the same age, and we were, we were probably working in fitness, and we talked about this before when we interviewed before, but we've been in fitness about the same, you know, about the same amount of time since the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, give or take. Um, and this is a question I always like to, I like to ask because I always I appreciate the answer, and I, I really respect the answer. Who do you think were your greatest influences? Like when you were first learning this stuff, I mean, you mentioned Pavel, you mentioned, you know, strong for, you know, he started Russian kettlebell or not started, but he worked with Russian kettlebell concepts and evolved into strong first. And you, you know, with the, with the Indian clubs who really kind of got your juices flowing and made you want to learn more. You know, uh, as far as fitness is concerned, that was definitely, I'd say those two teachers, in, in different ways, in terms of Scott Sonnen and Pavel Satsumi. Um, they, they were the most influential early in my career, right? And so, but if I, if I was to like take a step back and take, take a look at who I am as a person and the framework of, of how I look at myself and look at the world and through a physical practice, what, what I hope to achieve, it really goes back to being a four-year-old, uh, fighting my parents not to push me into a martial arts studio. No! Grabbing on the doors. But then fi- finding out that, you know, so much of who I am as a person is now heavily influenced by those experiences, those early experiences in martial art. And, and as far as the physical practice, it was hard-nosed conditioning and it was a, a eclectic mix of, of of martial arts even so if we look at like well we're looking at this integrative philosophy well i think that goes back to even before fitness it goes back to my martial arts days because my sensei he was a combatives instructor at the old infantry base fort ord in monterey california and uh he, he started a martial art that was an eclectic mix of a bunch of different martial experiences he had through his lifetime and he called it Bojuka, boxing, judo, jiu-jitsu, and karate, right? It was just a blend of these things and um, kind of like an early er, early version of martial art, you know, very Bruce Lee-esque, you know, Jeet Kune Do-esque. Um, you know, they just took what worked and stuck with those, stuck with those uh, from across various different art forms. And so that, that early experience in martial art, then 
transposing that point of view into fitness and looking at, well, okay, Pommel, man, I was reading Muscle Media 2000, and it was very, like, his take on how to get the most out of bodybuilding or strength training from the conventional barbell lists, and, and it was great, man. It was just phenomenal. Uh, I, I got tons of gains incorporating his uh, uh, Power to the People uh, program. It was a. Uh, I loved his books. I loved his writing. He's just such so down to earth and simple to assimilate. Uh, you know, the ultimate sophistication is simplicity, right? So, like for him to be, take these these uh, hard to grasp concepts and simplify them for for me in my my twenties, and for me to be able to grasp them and use them and get the results I did was phenomenal. Uh, and so I did the RKC in two thousand three, and then uh, same year. Because of Pavel, I found Scott Son in uh, probably around 2001-ish or 2000, uh, right around that window. As I was doing part of the people, I, I saw a quote where he was talking about Scott and how he moved. He called him the hologram man. And I was like, man, you know, that's cool. And back then it was on VHS, so I found some crazy poor quality video on, on online. I was like, dude, this guy moves like... Wait, 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 wait. Let's, let me stop you for a second. You mean you couldn't just type it into YouTube and, and watch, watch, uh, you know, hours of video <laughs> about, you had to actually go search out information? Yeah, man. I didn't, you know, I didn't even get YouTube when it came out. And that was several years later. People were like, YouTube is the next thing. I was, I'm, I'm a little more dense than I maybe put on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but now, like, yeah, you know, it's crazy to realize how easy you can access all this information and and it's a beautiful thing, but it's also to our detriment a lot of times, right? This information overload constantly. You didn't have, you don't have to seek out and be a good student. You just plug into the matrix and think you can upload all this data, and it just doesn't work like that until you until you put it into a practice, right? So, um, so yeah, you know that's there's a big shift from. Early 2000s from now, but I think that's huge. But let's take a look at that for a second. I think that's huge because when you wanted, you mentioned earlier, you travel traveled around and went and sought out teachers, and that's a much different experience than people do nowadays. And, and how important do you think that was for you to kind of like really take ownership of what you were learning? Man, I think whatever it is that you value has to come at a cost, right? I mean the whether it's time or money, love, sacrifice of some sort. Because um, if not, it's, it's really hard to have a perspective of how much value it, it has or could have for you. And um, that's just me, though. You know, uh, you know, if for me, I, not, not, not to toot my own heart, I think it's actually a weakness. It, for, as far as academics or education, it's always come really easy. So I didn't really value um, a lot of information, right? So, so like, okay, I can assimilate information. I can theoretically understand it, but it's all bullshit until you apply it, right? And so until you actually apply it and get the outcomes that are intended from that practice, it really, it doesn't, you don't know it. You think you know it. You kind of understand it from the outside looking in. Uh, a coach that, that I loved working with and I did definitely took a lot of value from, uh, Will Chung. He's kind of like, uh, behind the scenes, he doesn't do a lot of social media, but he got a really good following 
collect a group all over the world. And he, he always said knowing is doing. You know, he has a big martial arts background. And so, you know, if you're not doing it, you don't really know it. And the other thing is, is um, if if it's easy to uh, to acquire, a lot of times people don't have enough skin in the game to go through the longer, more arduous process of assimilating the practice. And so for me, I think it was really important. And at that time in my life, it was really important. But, um, you know, not to knock the ability to have access to coaches through virtual means and things like that. But I think that more often than not, you find, say, like online coaching models, which I think are a big part of the future. Um, the problem is compliance. The problem is, is everything's too easy to get to, you know, um, it's, it's just not, it's, it's well, not the well, type of met, metal that people used to have to take well, and, new practice. And that's an important thing because if you, I think if it comes too easy, then you don't appreciate it. And then, and then if you have to work for it, then you, then you, I think have a little bit more of a sense of achievement. I mean, has that kind of been your experience in, in, in this field where, if it's something that's just handed to you, you kind of don't really, you kind of tend to overlook it. Whereas if you really pursue something, then you really take ownership of it. Would you kind of, would you agree with that? Wholeheartedly. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, that has to do a lot with what you're saying is that when a lot of us were looking for things, you know, before the age of the internet, we had to actively seek them out and uh, you had to actually actively seek a teacher out. It wasn't necessarily always easy, given that proximity wasn't necessarily there, and again, forms of communication were limited back then. But, um, but for me, that was a big part of of being able to understand the value of it, because, uh, like I said, I just had a history of being able to understand, you know, theories, but it was just a matter of. At that point in time, I was I was doing plenty of things that were not productive. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. like getting getting away, moving out of my comfort zone to do something that was transformative was a big part of the framework of creating value. And 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 the financial investment was a big part of me saying like this matters a lot in this point in my life to change where I am, who I am, to where I want to be, and who I want to be. You know, so, um, you know, you got to have skin in the game. You have to care a lot. That's, that's the big thing. What, whether you pay for it or, or, or not, you just have to be willing to bleed for those things that you love and, and be willing to, to go through trials and tribulations to become who you want to be. And, and that's, I think, a lot about what fitness really is or should be about, you know. I'm going to come back to that because I think that's an important, you know, being able to bleed a little bit. I think that's an, that's an important concept, and we're, and we're going to come back to that. But I want to ask you a little bit about Onnit itself. Um, I've been really, you know, I, I learned about Onnit from listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, and I kind of, I looked it up because, you know, I, I work out and stuff. I'm like, oh, let me re- let me learn, learn about these supplements. You know, Rogan's always talking about them, and, and I ordered some, and, and then I kind of started checking out the website, and, you, know, you guys had some really cool stuff like the maze, you know, your different approaches, you know, kettlebells. You guys have worked with Indian clubs. What, what's, what, is, and, and as I've kind of been learning more about it, I've been very intrigued because you guys are really, I don't even know if you, you realize this, but you guys are really starting to make some waves in the commercial fitness sector. And just by kind of doing what you're doing and really being 
um, what's the best way to put it? You're really doing a lot of integrity. You're not trying to be everything to everybody. You really have, from what I see looking outside looking in, it seems like you have a really strong core set of principles and values that are guiding everything you do. So tell us a little bit about Onnit. What is Onnit? How to get started? And, and what are you guys trying to do? Man, that is an all-encompassing question. Um, <laughs> and the reason being is because Onnit is this is this thing. It's kind of like this living body of work, and it's a movement. It's it's a, a cultural revolution of some sort. You know, uh, as much as it is a brand or uh, you know a supplement company or a fitness company, um, and I think that's what really draws people to on it. Um, you know, people have different opinions, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. But without a doubt, you know, it's extremely important for those of us that are are leading the company from within that we do things with integrity and with intention and, and being guided by a core set of principles, as you had mentioned. And so, you know, the mission of on it, you know, I just happen to have this sitting on my, on my desk. So this is an old, old version and we haven't revisited, but let's just say, let's just look at this and hear this out and see if it applies to what, where we are right now. See, our mission is to inspire peak performance through a combination of unique products and actionable information, combining bleeding-edge science, earth-grown nutrients, and time-tested strategies from top athletes and medical professionals. We are dedicated to providing our customers with supplements, foods, and fitness equipment aimed at helping people achieve a new level of well-being we call total human optimization. And so that's that's kind of the parent company, right? And then we have the Onnit Academy, and it really ties into the education more about that actionable information. It expands on that and, and the tools being very information related um, and the education, you know, these, these opportunities to go somewhere, be with like-minded people and, and sweat to go together, maybe bleed a little bit together. But in terms of bleed, I don't mean actual physical trauma or, or injury. <laughs> I just mean effort, you know, and the willingness to, to sacrifice for, for your and other people's well-being. Um, and so, so total human optimization, I think everything goes back to this, this guiding principle. There's this kind of term that has been coined within on it and what is total human optimization. And that drives this ever expanding set of uh, opportunities and products that we, we delve into. Um, uh, what is required to achieve total human optimization? And it's, it's mind, body, spirit, right? You know, so various different practices from breath work to, uh, to meditation to yoga to fitness, proper nutrition and supplementation. Um, but more than anything else, we're, we're, we have to be honest with ourselves and honest with those other people in the marketplace are, and are mainly to our customers. We, we live off the law of reciprocity. Um, and, uh, you know, Aubrey, he, I don't want to say it because I'll probably say it wrong, but it's for the good of all, right? For the good of all. And, and so uh, we, we kind of always want to be in this position where we are, uh, if, if there's give and take, we'd rather take just a little bit less than we give right so it was like 100 to 100 we'll take the 99 in terms of value uh what we want to have is this this amazing exchange of value our 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 customers are winning 
right? And so, and that we're constantly providing everybody with the information that we obtain through our research and our experiences that, that help people achieve total human optimization. And, and what that means right now is going to be different than what it meant 10 years ago and different than what it means 10 years from now as we continue to evolve and our understanding of, of what peak performance is and uh, what practices can help achieve that most efficiently. And so that's, that's, that's really the distillation of what our, our goals are as a company and, and as a culture. Yeah. And see, one of the things that's so fascinating about looking, looking at what you guys are doing is you have so many other companies in the fitness space. And, and that's where, you know, where I live and work is in commercial fitness. And you have so many companies in here in this space that are really pushing to get to, to, you know, next technology, to get to the wearable technology, to get to the, let's integrate this into our, into our equipment. Let's integrate TV, internet, all this, and all that stuff. And, you know, there's a place for that because if somebody comes to the gym and, and watches the TV, you know, while walking on the treadmill, that's much better than, than watching TV just sitting at home and eating crappy snacks. And that's, that's a start. And so anything that gets anybody moving, I think is a good thing. But I really, you know, what I see you guys doing though is you guys are totally stepping away from the technology and kind of getting back to the base level of what it means to move. I mean, I think you're very aligned with MMA. I think you're very aligned with some old practices. And when we spoke before one time, the one thing that you said that really stuck out and really that, that I really love was you talked about our, our hands are made for gripping things. They're not meant for holding the screen. But they're made for gripping things. So let's talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by that? And what type of equipment um, does Onnit promote that, that fits, fits that need? Yeah. Um, so, so as technology has gotten better, we constantly are are in some ways evolving, right, as a society. But as far as how we live physically, you could argue it's it's moving in the opposite direction, right? Uh, there's in terms of the physical capacity of the average person is not getting more impressive there there are some extremely impressive individuals um you, know, you can be inspired by stories from things like rise of the superman where people are uh that book, a book by uh jamie wheel and uh, forget the other author off the top of my hand had uh rise of the superman let me just pull that up real quick um and then just even fill in even color Okay. Yeah, I was just going to fill in while you're looking. I was going to, I was going to create a little bit of blank space. Where <laughs> but go ahead, because you know, we're talking about you know, using the implements. On that real quick, I think, I think that's one thing that, that kind of ties in is we've had this over-technology of fitness, and, and for lack of a better term, I think that's created almost a – you have all these people that go to the gym, yet they're pansies, and if they got, freaking, if they got attacked, you know, if they're out, you know, go back to our roots – if they, not that anybody's going to, is going to happen, but they got attacked. Well, I live in Southern California, so it could happen. If a mountain lion jumped out at me, um, while I was mountain biking, I'm pretty confident I could handle myself. I could grab a stick, I could grab a rock, and I could use it to defend myself or defend my kids. But I think a lot of people would not know how to do that. They wouldn't have that physical literacy. And that's one thing that I see you guys crushing it is your, your, what you guys do and the tools you guys use really promote physical literacy. So keep on going. Like, so you're talking about, what was the name of that book, the Superman book? The Rise of the Superman. So it's uh, Decoding the Science of Ultimate Human Performances. And basically uh, looking at how, in extreme sports particularly, new uh, levels of 
um, human performance can constantly are being achieved where you're like, well, you'll never be able to achieve anything above this. And then they do. So then this, this ability, this understanding of what's possible constantly, um, the framework is constantly challenged, but on the opposite side of the same coin is that's happening in society. The average person is, is devolving as far as their ability to deal with situations like the one that you just, you just brought up. And I think that a lot of it has to do, and, and not to say on it is going to single-handedly, you know, be able to address what, what needs are out there. I think we all have to be involved in, and, um, you know, the whole fitness industry, you know, has, has hopes to be able to make that type of uh, change for society, but, but each of us as individuals have to opt in. Right. And so, so it's, it's a big thing. And so at the same time, the tools that on it sells and provides are low tech, right? Low tech, high concept. They're like pieces of iron and steel shaped in different ways with different features. Um, things like kettlebells, clubs, uh, maces. Uh, those are all lever tools to some extent. Um, we still use barbells and dumbbells, man. Don't think we're, we don't, we're, don't have a security or superiority complex about the tools that we're most invested in. We use all the tools, battle ropes, uh, all these things it are provide you the opportunity to build your physical literacy as you, you've made mention of, right? So how do I interact with different tools, different environments? And, and how does my nervous system and body respond to these different stimuli? Is it, relatively intelligent, pick up on new things very quickly. Um, we, we have a framework to help people be more successful in more dynamic environments. And it starts wherever you are, right? So if you're on the couch and, and you don't feel physically competent at all, we have an entry point for you. If you're an MMA athlete, like you said, and you're walking in the door and you're at the peak of your sport, we still can meet you where you're at. And use the same framework because it is adaptive to the individuals that we're coaching. I think that's what coaching is, recognizing, adapting to that individual and then recognizing where they want to go and providing a roadmap for success towards that, towards that end point, right? And so, um, so when you're swinging clubs, you're swinging maces, you're using battle ropes, you're, you're using your hands particularly in, in novel ways because say you're picking up a barbell, you pick up a barbell, you interact with the barbell the same way. It, the, the bar is designed to be relatively comfortable in your hand and pull against the bony structures of your hand. Whereas a club, as you swing it, it changes orientation in different positions, in different parts of a, any particular drill. And in that, and the fact that those levers are acting on your hands in different ways, require your hands to be more dynamic. And your hands just happen to have a huge part of uh, allocation of your nervous system energy, right? You know, so your hands or your face, particularly in modern modern man, arguably in the past. Your feet would also have a lot of real estate in your brain as well, but because we wear shoes and the way we live, that's not the case these days. So, um, so using the hands in new ways, using the body in new ways, interacting with... Uh, you, with these tools through a more triplanar approach, uh, polyaxial is one of the terms of, in the rise of Superman, the whole goal of achieving flow state through movement or through novel experiences that are ever evolving and sophisticating for, for the, 
need to satisfy not only your body, but your nervous system and your brain for neuroplasticity's sake, right? So we're, we're trying to achieve a physical state of performance, but not only that, we we're trying to look at how that, how that impacts the brain, how it impacts your emotional capacity, right? Your, you know, uh, how you, how you move is, is a representation of how you see yourself in these other states. And if you move in new ways, we argue you think in new ways. Right, so these practices ideally will help achieve, help an individual achieve or move towards this ideal of total human optimization. Right. Well, and, and just to, sorry to bump in real quick, but I think the one thing that, that I think listeners would be interested to hear, and, we'll, and I'll be interested in your reaction to this. But what we've seen is that if people exercise, if they're if they're doing the same thing repetitively over and over again, you know, they go, it's, it's Monday, I'm doing chest day, it's Tuesday, I'm doing back day, or I'm going on a treadmill or elliptical, you're not feeding new information into the brain. You're not feeding new information into the nervous system. You're not feeding new forces, new lows into the tissue like fascia and muscle and all the elastic connective tissue. And so I think, you know, people can exercise and they can do a lot of exercise at a high volume, but they're not really uploading a lot of information into their body. And what we what we know and what the evidence is starting to show is that if you start doing different types of exercise, so say you start learning how to use Indian clubs, um, all of a sudden I'm I'm uploading a ton, I'm up, uh, uploading terabytes of new information to my body, which can ultimately help per- enhance my cognitive performance. Is that I mean is that really, do you guys use that? Is that is that something you guys really kind of focus on? Is really not only because you mentioned earlier mind body spirit. So is that something that's the driving force within within your organization is we're not just getting fit, but fitness should drive our, what our brain does or how we kind of our cognitive function. It has to. I mean, it, it has to. I mean, so, so going back to why I landed in fitness, it, it quite literally is because I, I was strung out. So I was strung out on meth, and I needed to figure out how to improve my ability to combat this demon. Right, this demon that was self-imposed, um, the state that I put myself in, and uh, and so you know I didn't do the traditional means of looking at a, a clinic or anything like that. I was just like, well, I figured out that I wanted to be better, and then I looked back at when I was the most potentially capable of dealing with these stresses that I'm now now under, and I looked back to when I was a young child or a young person in physical practice of martial arts and the, and the bylaws and the teachings of martial art and how that could potentially empower me to win this battle I'm in right now or at that time. And so without a doubt, that's why the conventional bodybuilding and powerlifting approach wasn't giving me what I needed at that time. I needed something that was going to challenge me in a much more dynamic sphere for me to be able to, to walk away from the training, the physical training component, and feel more emotionally and mentally capable of dealing with the challenges that I was facing at that point in my life. And so, uh, you know, I was I was getting stronger. I was moving bigger loads. I was putting on muscle. I was 130 pounds when I started the journey, and, and, and through the conventional practices. But it just was wasn't breaking through to the point where I was I was getting all of these other benefits that. I truly needed at that point. So, um, so when I look at the different practices that we teach and, and that we value, it it has to be about how your brain adapts, how you adapt as 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 a 
as a human being, which is so much more than just your outward appearance physically or, or even uh, just because you can do 100 push-ups in a row doesn't make you mentally and emotionally more capable. And, uh, and as a coach, you know, my job is to get the best out of the people that I work with. So that's, those are the things that, that I want to see happen concurrent with the evolution of physical state, right? Uh, and that's a lot to ask. That's a lot to ask of an individual that I work with, and it's a lot to ask of me to be able to to, list, to help facilitate that type of change. But, you know, I think a lot of people that have gone through a big transformation have the ability to say that that's what, what they got out of it. And, and, you know, I think, I think as a coach or someone in the fitness industry, we, we all should strive to be able to, to provide that level of impact. It doesn't mean, I mean, everybody's got to have their own skin in the game. We talked about that before. Right. But, but, um, but that doesn't stop me from wanting to, to provide that level of, of care and service. Well, and so of that, I mean, you mentioned like the, the flow state, and, and we we talked about this some before. And what do you mean by flow state, and how is that? I mean, and how do you use that, or how do you achieve that using the tools that Onnit provides, like a mace or like a clubs or or a kettlebell? I, th- I think the mace and the clubs are much more conducive to the flow state. But but describe what you mean by flow state, and how do you achieve that using your equipment? Okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so flow state is kind of. Uh, the easiest way for most people to to tap into or tap into understand what that means, and I think we've all experienced at some point in our life, and, and um, ho- hopefully, you know, if you recognize it or you didn't, it's kind of just let's just simplify and say you're in the zone, right? And flow state can mean different things in different environments. So, say you're a working professional, and you just got yourself to a, a high level of proficiency and you're in the zone at work. And next thing you know, it's several hours later and you've done more work than there's any way you could project it. Right. Or in a physical practice, you, you kind of are in the zone and all of a sudden uh, you realize that you've been able to perform a skill that was challenging or, you know, you just feel that there's no internal resistance to the things that you're trying to achieve. This happens a lot with athletics, right? Um, you know, even, uh, I remember an NBA, it was a, a video game in the arcade back in the day. I'm, I might be dating myself, but <laughs> he's on fire. He's in the oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that, that's a seg. That's like, what was it? NBA. It was like the two on two. Uh, I played that a lot in my fraternity days. That's yeah. like the, that seg, that's like the Sega Genesis two on two basketball. Yeah. Totally remember that. Totally remember right. that. And who just yelled it? He's on fire. You, you dropped three in a row. He's on fire. He's in the zone. And, and he like, and all of a sudden it made it harder for every, even in the video game. It made it harder for the defenders to do anything to stop you because when you're in that state, everything just continued to happen in in your favor, right? And, and this is the this is the state that we are able to achieve the greatest outcomes, whether physically or mentally or professionally. And, and I, what we find is, and through this book, right, Rise of the Superman. Actually, they made me read it before I I, I came out here to interview. It was great. Um, <laughs> I think I'll be picking up a copy when we get off the when we get off the conversation today. In fact, I know I'll be picking up a copy when we get off the conversation. <laughs> awesome, yeah, it, it, and it is mainly inspirational, right? Uh, but um, they came out with a new book. I think it's called Stealing Fire. Yeah, Stealing Fire is a 
this uh, the newer book and it continues continues on with the more practical application with the modern man, but um, not just ultimate uh, you know extreme athletes. Uh, really cool, really cool information. But in any case, we want to elicit this state, this flow state, and that requires progressively new and challenging stimulus. And what we find, what they have found also in, in reinforcing it through the through the book, um, physical physical feats that are progressively more challenging and generally challenging, not in just like, oh, can you pick this up heavier, but challenging your vestibular system, right, your your optical system, your proprioceptive systems, your awareness of yourself in space, so polyaxial movements, things that are moving you around more axes of rotation. And so one of the systems I used to be involved in and teach was a circular strength training. That's where we're swinging clubs, and that's where you're talking about swinging clubs. So if we look at what a club is, it's an extension of your lever system, right? Or any tool is to some extent. But with these long levers, if you look at the way that your your arm is configured and we take that and we add another forearm, right, to the end of it, and we have to learn how to articulate this new new lever arm and if we look at how we can move that in space through all different axes of, of rotation, through different planes. Uh, now, all of a sudden, if we take a, an idea, this concept, a really simple concept, you're in my space, bro, right? And you look at, well, how much space do people own right now? People own in our current life as much space as it takes to crouch over an iPhone. Thankfully, the iPhone screen has gotten bigger, but... But pretty much, that's what it is. People are hunched over and sucked into a little screen or sucked into your TV or sucked into your shoulders are rolled forward, your head's in a forward translate position. Everything is focused on this one very narrow idea, goal, piece of technology, right? And so the amount of space somebody owns now is gradually shrinking in terms of their physical space that they take because they're crouched over in this little space, but but also the about ability for them to move dynamically at any point in time. So say now if I move just my body through space in big arches, big round movements, just draw circles with every joint, as big as you can, how much space do you own? All of a sudden now my brain accounts for owning more space. Now you're in my space. I own the whole space that I can reach and touch because I just move through it. So all of a sudden, proprioceptively, spatial awareness is enhanced um, through that the proprioceptive input, so my body being aware of where I can potentially reach. Right Now we take an extended lever, like a mace or a cloak, and we swing it through those big arcs. How much more space do we take? How much more space are we aware of? Right, And so... Now we're just looking at owning more space, owning more space. Now we start to look at being more dynamic in that space. How can we move in that space? How much of that space do we own? How many different transitional movements can we can we even weave together if we want to get more sophisticated and challenge challenge our ability to be more dynamic in the way we use our body? And, and, and of course, we want to do this in a sound approach. It doesn't mean the crazier the better. Right, because the, it all has to be principally driven and, and and focused around sound movement principles and basics. But at the same time, we can still move towards that outer end of awareness and be able to stimulate 
through through these different means. Uh, and you can do it in body weight. You can do it with kettlebells. We can do it with pretty much any tool or no tool. But the goal is of being able to stimulate flow state through these different inputs, like you said earlier, right? You, you want to be able to um, challenge the body and the mind through through varied stimulus. And the stimulus does have to change, though it doesn't have to change every day. And it doesn't have to be ridiculous. You don't have to stand on a, a balance board with a didgeridoo and <laughs> a kettlebell pressing overhead. Or it, I remember seeing something like that. You know, that's not yeah. the goal. <laughs> no, and I think I think what people and I think that's because that's hits home a very important concept. I think a lot of times to go back to what we were talking about earlier, the the, the challenge is like when we used to have to seek out information. We would just get little bits of information, and we would go back to to where we, you know, you'd practice in your area, I practice in my area. We'd go back, and we would go back and, and practice religiously to own it. Nowadays, I think what we're seeing is people will just, um, people will just, um, you know, they'll get a little bit of information from the internet, and they don't take the time, they don't appreciate what it means. I can watch a clip of somebody swinging a mace on the internet and go out and try to replicate that without understanding that if I watch you swinging a mace. You might have been working with that for five years before you hit, you hit record and put that up on YouTube, you know, meaning that you've gone through a whole series of long-term progressions, and you know, you're showing me the pinnacle of your performance, and I'm trying to sit there and mimic that, and I think that's, that could lead to injury. Do you think that's one of the detriments or one of the, the, the things that's really hurting the fitness industry right now is this, this kind of like we almost have too much information, it becomes this overload? Yeah, and, and I think, again, not having a practice that supports the the pursuit of more information for the sake of more information. So, you know, 10,000 10, hours to mastery, right? 10,000 repetitions for a movement. Just because we want to vary the stimulus and be progressive doesn't mean it has to be daily, right? I mean, you still have to get the return on investment of a particular movement. And starting with the basics is still the most sound approach. We're talking about years of progression, ideally, because the more it, – it, it's kind of like what you, you, you allude to. Is this to the detriment of the fitness industry? Yeah, without a doubt. Because just because you can do it doesn't make it a sound practice, right? What I mean by that is you can do feats of strength. I mean, I, I, I fell into that. I think most people do in their 20s particularly. Oh. You know, look, look how cool I can do this. I used to stand on stability balls back in the early 2000s. I used to be one of those knuckleheads doing squats on stability balls. I mean, that was that was what we did to kind of go, oh, yeah, this is cool. Let's look at this and look how we do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's arguable. Risk to reward is, is a big thing, you know, and, and as I'm older and, and as I'm more responsible for other people's well-being than just my own, <laughs> then, then, then I have to care a lot more about that. And, and you know, there's a lot of learning in, in putting yourself in weird predicaments. And I think I learned a lot through injury and through failure, a lot through failure in business and life and in, in training. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's, that was the best approach. If that's your journey, then that's your journey. But the thing with the YouTube generation and, you know, a trainer basically looking on YouTube the night before they train people and then putting people through that without any understanding of what the demands of those, those drills are, even what the, the basis of them are, is, is pretty ridiculous. And just because you can do it doesn't mean you're getting the return on investment of doing it uh, uh, without, without a practice, without understanding the whys. 
So the big thing in our education is all about the why. So if you can't answer in a simple way why you're doing something with one of your clients or with yourself, you absolutely fail. You fail because things have to have purpose, right? People have to have purpose. The training has to have purpose. And if it's not purposeful, even if it's fun, okay, so it has to be fun. People are very experientially focused. That doesn't mean it can't be sound, right? We can make it fun. We can provide lots of variation, but it doesn't mean that it has to do so at the at the uh, sacrifice of being sound and practical and principle principle driven, principally driven. Um, and you know that's kind of the challenge with consumers as well because. We're in a consumer industry unless you're in a, you know, a PT clinic or a strength coach at a college, you know, in which in those cases you're going to be extremely conservative anyway, right? But as far as dealing with the consumer base of people that are hyper-stimulated and always looking for novel experiences, can you do that while giving them what they need? So give them what they want, but give them what they need. And what they want isn't necessarily um, to do a whole bunch of haphazard things, even though that's what experientially they're having a lot of fun with, give them novel sensations, novel experiences around sound principles. And that's a lot of what we focus on in our education with the tools, with the mixes, with the clubs. not just to do something cool and new. It's to do something that reinforces the foundations while we do something cool. And, and see, but that, and I think that's such a strong, powerful thing. I think that's one of the reasons why Honest achieved this, you know, this kind of exponential success is we, so many times, John, people are running around like, what's new in fitness? What's new in fitness? There doesn't need to be anything new. What, what works? Okay. What works is consistency, volume, intensity, recovery. You know, you have to do, you know, look at the principles of fitness. You have specificity, overload, and progression. And, and, and to some degree, you have variability. You need to have some variability in your programs. If you don't have those things or if you don't know how to manipulate those things, do you have any chance of having a successful fitness program? A very small chance for a very short window. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I mean, people can get outstanding results without adhering to sound principles for four to six to eight, maybe 12 weeks. But, but uh, the, the holes in that ship are soon to be very apparent. Um, injury will plague you and backslides and a lack of, long-term progression, uh, which has to be our goal. So, so again, uh, if you go back to our education system, what we constantly espouse and teach, we are a longevity and performance system. So what is the first word? Longevity. That's what our focus is. I want you to be in the game for a long time. Uh, we have a new young coach that's dealing with primarily with NFL athletes, high-level NFL athletes, um, Earl Thomas, Von Miller's, like a ton of young talent that are going to go make ways in the, in the, in the sport. And, and he says the best ability, you know, well, guess, take a guess. What do you think is the best ability, Pete? It is for, probably the, for, for, in terms of training, in terms of guys, the guys who's looking to train. Uh, let's just say for an athlete, especially a professional athlete, the best ability is, I think the ability to learn and the ability to, to take a step back and, and look at what you're doing. I, I, I'd agree with that, but as far as t- getting a check, the best ability is availability. That's, that's what he tells the guys, right? And yeah. you know w- w- what makes you available is making sure that you train and keep your body well maintained, right? Like you said, 
recovery is a big part of it. Training in a way where you're not putting your body at undue risk. Being ready for the call. Making, making sure that you're in the best position to, to make the play, right? And that means, you know, getting off the bench or answering the phone and being game ready well, whenever, whenever necessary. So, uh, and it, that takes a longevity approach. It's being prepared. It's being prepared for the opportunity. When I played rugby, I was, you know, I was well aware that I was the number two hooker on, on my club and I played at a pretty high level of rugby. And my job was to push the number one and, and to push him to be, be better. And my, and my secondary job was to be ready. So when something in rugby, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So when something happened to the number, to the number one guy and they needed to go in, I was ready. You know, that's the best guy. At that yeah. point, right? And, yeah. and I understood my role. You know, I understood my role. I wasn't there. I'm not, I've never, the fact that I was playing at a high level is beyond. I was way above my, my, my natural athletic ability, but my desire to be a part of the team and my desire to play the sport meant that, that I was able to earn that spot. And so I kicked my butt and, and I loved training with my buddy. I mean, he was, he started ahead of me. I didn't care because when we trained together, I pushed him, he pushed me. And it made, you know, the whole theory was, it, what, you know, when you do that, what happens? If, if, if you and I are trained together, even though you might be starting ahead of me, what, what happens if we, if, 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 what happens as a result of that? You both get better. And we both get better. And, and it's the greater good. We all get better. We all get better, yeah. And the team gets better. I, I really think that that's another part that's an, an important, uh, important aspect of what, what needs to happen is we do need to work in teams, right? Uh, we're kind of more pack animal, pack animals than, than we give ourselves credit for, especially in this economy, particularly right? and in this society, right? It's very individualistic. Celebrates the individual. It's great, but the individual needs to be supported by a tribe, right? And a team. And so what you had just said about being the second guy and then pushing the first guy, that that's a big part of, I think what we're doing at Audit, we're, we're constantly looking at building our team. And it's been a, a process. You know, I, I inherited some folks that were here, and they had already had an idea of what they wanted to do. So uh, assimilating them into a new culture was a challenge. And then now they're extremely high achievers within the, our goals and what we want to uh, achieve and how we want to influence the market. But uh, it was a big part of what you said, too. It's like, hey, you know what? You have, say, like you're, you're over your staff, your coaching staff, your your head coach, or even administration, whatever it is, right? And then those people are keeping people accountable from the top. And then you have got to have hungry people chomping at people's ankles. <laughs> and yeah. you were you, you apparently sounded like you were that guy for quite a long time, and, and and that kept you motivated and kept the guy in front of you motivated, right? So um, I call it like the little brother, the little brother yeah. impact. Um, so. My, my, one of my little brothers is really a lot. You're 16 years younger than I. And then the middle brother, um, he was born with a developmental disability. And so uh, he didn't, they told, he had a hemispherectomy. They said he would walk or talk after they did a partial removal of his right hemisphere of his brain. It's very experimental at three years old, the UCSF. It was, it was a really trying time for the family, right? And so for a long time, you know, he just kind of scooted around. His right arm is extremely strong. His left arm has this palsy. So that's another thing why I think, like, seeing how he's evolved has been really inspirational for me to see, well, hey, well-bodied people. You, know, you don't got too many excuses um, when you start being exposed to what, what people with inherently less can achieve, right? 
And so the little brother syndrome really important to me because when my younger brother was born and he started doing things, development, developing at a regular rate, all of a sudden the older brother, even with his challenges, recognized his role, right? And he said, no, I'm, I'm the older brother. He didn't say it, but you could see the shift, right? And so uh, when my younger brother started talking, he started talking more coherently. When my younger brother started walking, he he's all of a sudden figured out how to walk, and this is kind of kind of an odd thing because if you know anything about uh, the nervous system or the brain and how it supposedly works, or right hemisphere controls left side of the body, which totally makes sense. The left side of his body is stiff and palsy. His leg is is uh, you know that side of his body is relatively atrophied, but he still has to coordinate that, or he can't walk, right? So he's had a full hemispherectomy. He had a secondary procedure. He still walks and talks and has a great sense of humor. Not normal functioning by society standards, but pretty miraculous. And so I just think, you know, as an individual, you can be really driven, but it's really powerful to take take into uh, the power to 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 be driven by the power of the tribe. And uh, and I think that's a really important thing that that uh, even though with Instagram and Insta fame and everything, people are celebrating the individual. It's great to celebrate the individual, but to understand that uh, we are going to thrive or die on the support or lack of support of the tribe, right? And so, um, and going back to team sports and what you brought up there, I think is just a huge part because from my experience, it was a different venue, my family. But I look at that in every coaching environment every small or large group coaching environment as well. You have your peer leadership. And uh, if they set the tone for what's achievable, it's pretty amazing what people behind them start doing and how fast they start doing it. So, And, and, and that's, a, that's a powerful thing, John. And I really appreciate your sharing, sharing the story about your brother. And, and too, your, your, your personal, you, know, you kind of alluded to it in an earlier conversation we had. You know, in terms of your, your your struggle, you know, of overcoming meth. You know, I've been I've been in recovery myself a number of years, and I've had a few stumbles along the way. And um, it's never, you know, I never look at it. You know, we talk about, and I go to meetings, whether or not I don't know if other people do. It doesn't matter for them. Um, and I don't talk about this much on the podcast, but or professionally. But I go to meetings, and one of the things I love about going to meetings is. You know, you hear about the progress, not perfection. And I think in, in fitness, we, that, that's an important kind of mindset is, is we gotta remember we're here to get better today. I don't care what you did yesterday. That's yesterday. You know, we can't worry about tomorrow because it's not here, but what can we do today? Today we can work on getting 1% better. Now with that, the one question I, I'll have, I'm gonna ask and then I'll let you go, um, is your, your workshops with the Onnit Academy, I, you know, I attended part of your workshop in, in uh, Carlsbad recently and I really appreciate that, man. It was a great, great experience. Um, how many people do you get coming to the Onnit Academy who are fitness professionals? And how many are just general consumers who want to learn more about fitness? Because I see what you guys have done is you've created this education space that traditionally education has been for fitness professionals, trainers, coaches, whatever, to learn the skills of their trade. But more and more, I see people doing it like to face the general public, like uh, Strength Matters. You know, We miss each other there, but Strength Matters when it was here in San Diego – you're getting these workshops that are they're kind of like for that super consumer, not quite professional person. So at the Online Academy, how many people are fitness professionals or, or strength coaches, and how many people are general consumers? That's a great question, man. Well, when we designed our workshops and our, our seminars, it was really important to cater to 
those super consumers, which you were just saying, the people that are the fitness enthusiasts for personal improvement. Because remember, my story is I was putting myself up all over the United States, flying myself all over the place, and I was not a fitness professional. I was doing that in the early 2000s. I didn't start training anybody professionally for money until 2007. So, um, and I wouldn't know I'd be in a position I'm in right now with on it at that time. So there's no way I could have known the return on the investment I was going to have other than investing in myself. And I like to tell people that at these seminars because I don't want them discounting the value that they can bring themselves, their families, their communities, and potentially um, be in some type of role if they choose to professionally making the transition if that's their passion and that's their calling, right? And so when we design our education, it has to speak to four different distinctly different demographics from the from a shared experience. And that's the, uh, the consumer, the fitness enthusiast, the young professional trying to, trying to find a lens, a framework that they can adopt that allows them to grow. And I, I really am excited about those two people because they tend to be the most able, the most pliable, right? They, they're, the, they're the less, least attached to something that, that prevents them from assimilating the information, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't continue and make sure we challenge ourselves to cater to a higher level of education as well, and we do. And we really thrive on it, and we love getting feedback from those people who do have different perspectives. So the, the next ones will be uh, evolved coaches. Uh, evolved coaches are people who have either, either been training or training. Their personal training age is high. Their professional training age is high. They may be strength coaches and, and working in scale with teams, right? So, But they're generally, I look at coaches, you know, in this evolution of trainer to coach is the ability to understand long-term progression and to execute that within their client base, whether it's end-use consumer or, um, or with team sports, right, or athletes. And then the last one are, are like educators in other systems, which we love having. Uh, we love hearing the perspectives where the through lines are consistent. We really do a, a, a lot of work to try to make sure that what we teach is universally acceptable. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to agree about everything, but the underlying principles have to be sound and principles are hard to argue against, right? That's kind of the whole point, right? And so um, our perspective and our approach might be different, but we, we will agree on more than we'll disagree on. And I, I really enjoy those experiences and conversations. And, and then and in addition to those other educators, we have therapists, clinicians, you know, chiros, PTs, people that are in medical, medical field and, and have a different hat that they are wearing that they're looking at this information through different lenses. That they're, they're looking at the information through. And so our challenge and our goal is to have, the ability to serve all of those people in one shared experience and to allow for the people that are casual users or passionate end users to, to grow from the experience of sharing that space with those clinicians and other educators and having an open dialogue where everybody's perspectives, questions, point of views are celebrated because, man, you know, I'll tell you what, the high-level coaches and the clinicians and the educators need to hear what the people on the other side of the the educational spectrum are experiencing and have questions about and vice versa, right? And we all get to do that in one shared space. I think that the evolution of everybody is enhanced as a result. And and that's where we fit. So if you want 
you want a purely professional in terms of like clinician focused education, that's not us. But if you want to bridge the gap, you know, if you want to learn how to, to because because uh, the the smarter people don't communicate more effectively generally to regular regular folks, the laymen, right? So so we are we want to be that bridge. We want to bridge the clinician to the end user, the end user to the clinician. We want to be able to have a common shared experience that allows for those different, very different people to to serve one person, the client or the patient, and in a, in a dynamic way. And, and that doesn't mean we have to be, have the, be the only tools, the only tool set that they adopt um, as they further that practice. They they can find a lot of other frameworks that that help achieve that goal. But we definitely want to foster an environment that allows for these type of experiences to happen. And, and that, so, uh, so, so real quick, just to, sorry to kind of cut you off there, but just to no wrap it up. But what, where can people find out more information about, about the Onnit Academy? Yeah, um, just type in onnitacademy.com or I think, uh, and, and click on the certification tab. Uh, moving forward that we're going to change that to education tab because we're gonna, okay. certifications isn't where we want to only be workshops, certifications, online workshops for those that need Access that are abroad or have other demands in life and still want the information. Again, we still have to work through it; otherwise, you don't know it. But uh, but we don't want to disservice anybody by not making that information available. That's cool. And then, what do, what's coming up for the next couple of years for Ana? Like, what, what are you guys? How are you guys planning to uh, take over the fitness world? Because whether or not you know it, <laughs> I kind of see I see it happening and, and slowly evolving. Uh, strategic partnerships, man. Uh, we, we, you know, the takeover concept is something that we've had to work on. Uh, I think a lot of times on it is perceived as a big powerhouse brand and we're still a small company. Uh, still primarily the revenues come from, from supplements. And, and the reality is from a fitness perspective, uh, again, inclusive, integrative, uh, we want to work with other open-minded professionals and systems that allow for those ideas to, to integrate and to create a bigger impact and that we can share our networks through that experience as well. We already have a lot of relationships like uh, Andrea Spina, you know, uh, Mike Fitch, the GMB fitness crew, uh, a lot of the previous experience, uh, relationships that I had in the past uh, that we like to still play in the same sandbox with. But I think uh, looking forward, uh, you know, but there's a lot of, of potential strategic partnerships that we're pursuing right now. Uh, I'll save you from, from the details, but, but that's the goal. And not taking over, but to complement what they already do well, right? We have this huge tool set and just being able to say, like, hey, have you thought about this as it complements what you're already doing? Uh, and instead of taking over, just, just being in a position of servitude to those people and to their communities. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and I'll have all the links below in the show notes because these guys, and I, I probably overstepped, uh, you know, leaned a little too far with my skis and saying take over. But I just, you know, the kind of a lot of the conversations I've had with my colleagues, we've all been, um, we've all been taking note, uh, just kind of in terms of what you guys are doing and, and, you know, who you guys are, you know, who you guys are. And, you know, I'm talking to, you know, Matt from Equinox and, you know, you know, John Bauer and, you know, these guys. And it's just fun to kind of talk with them and to have that shared experience. Well, John, I really appreciate um, your time today. I mean, John Wolf, the Chief Fitness Officer of uh, of Onnit, or is it just Onnit Academy? Yeah, Onnit 
Onyx Labs, yeah, Chief, that, that title is for, for Onyx, so you got it, man. It's, it's all yeah. good. As you can tell, I really had a lot of fun with that conversation. I'd only met John one or two times before. I'd only met him one time in person when I sat in on up some of the kettlebell workshop that they taught, that Onnit taught in Carlsbad not too long ago. And then I had one or two other conversations with him over the phone, one for an article I wrote on the Mace. So it was really, I really enjoyed getting to know John through this conversation. And I really hope that you got a lot out of this, everything from coaching, from understanding maybe how you can move a little bit differently. Because I think that's one of the cool things that Onnit's doing. Onnit's really disrupting the way that we do fitness right now. There are a lot of people like myself, a lot of fitness educators, who are really intrigued by how Onnit is positioning itself. Because they started out as just a supplement company. I mean, they were selling supplements to enhance you know, human performance. And now they've moved into the education realm. They sell products, but what they're doing is they're selling education to support the products. So if you're a, a super consumer, or what we call you know, a fitness consumer, a fitness super consumer, then you might want to look into taking uh, on an education. It, the, one of their two or three day on an academy workshops might be great for your needs because it's a great way to learn about how to do fitness. You know, when I did the kettlebell workshop in Carlsbad, of the people participating, probably only 50% were fitness professionals. The other 50% were just, you know, people that wanted to learn more about kettlebell training. There are people that took on it supplements and they had seen the advertising on the on it website. And, you know, whether they bought a kettlebell or two through on it, they wanted to learn more about kettlebell training. And I really think that's one of the things that's changing about fitness is you're starting to see more workshops directly for consumers. You, you want to learn about strength training, you know, instead of going to your local gym and working with a trainer, you can now travel and take strength training workshops with some of the top strength coaches in the country. You know, that's changing. We're starting to open up. And I know that's one of the things I'm looking at for the next year or so is I'm looking at how can I develop a workshop for whether you listen to my podcast or read my blogs, the American Council on Exercise, how can I do a workshop to help you learn more about how to use fitness to enhance your life? Now, one thing, I owe John a huge debt of gratitude. John, if you're listening, thank you very much. Because after our conversation, I picked up The Rise of Superman by author Stephen Kotler. And I have to say, that book really was just very insightful. You know, in my, in my youth, in my, when I was a kid, I used to do BMX and skateboarding. So I used to go flying through the air on a little bike or go jumping off a ramp on a skateboard. Um, not very successfully. I did race BMX for a while, but I uh, definitely stayed on a two-wheel, uh, two-wheel device rather than a four-wheel skateboard. But what I loved about that was the thrill it gave, you know, the challenge of trying to learn a new trick or going riding on some new jumps. And reading about Rise of Superman, the Rise of Superman is looking at how extreme sports evolved so quickly. You know, back when I did BMX in the 80s, doing a 360 was a big thing. Now, only 30 years later, not only doing they're doing 360s, they're doing two or three 360s in a row while doing backflips in the air. I mean, that's absolutely sick. Even now in my 40s, I love watching the X Games because having done some of that in my youth, I am just amazed by what they're doing now. But anyway, back to, back to this idea of the flow state. You know, in The Rise of Superman, Steve Kotler talks about the flow state, the state of just being present in the moment. That's one of the ways these extreme athletes are able to really thrive is because when they're, in, they're doing their sport, whether they're doing BMX or they're jumping out of an airplane or they're doing downhill skiing, you know, the adventure skiing, they aren't thinking about what happened yesterday. They're not worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. They're in the present. So since having this conversation with John and recording the, the podcast, I read Rise of Superman. I've started mountain biking again. 
Now, I, you know, I love mountain biking. I don't race BMX anymore, but, you know, when I'm riding regularly, I ride one or two times a week. I hit some trails here in San Diego in Southern California, and I love it. You know, I love being able to fly downhill. I don't do the, the gnarly jumps, but I'll do some drop-offs. I'll take the tires off the ground a little bit, but I just love that. I love the challenge it gives. I love the physical challenge, and I love that, you know, finding that flow state because when you're flying downhill, you're climbing a hill, and you're struggling to get up the hill, each crank harder than the next, you really, you know, yesterday doesn't matter. You're not thinking about what's going on tomorrow. You're focused on the now. So I'm going to try to see if I can get Steve Kotler as a guest on the, on the podcast. And if you haven't read the book, you know, after hearing John talk about it and, and you can hear my enthusiasm for it, I really recommend The Rise of Superman. I'll have it down in the show notes. Because if you're looking for an excuse for why you should be exercising or you're looking for an excuse for what else you could be doing, trust me, after reading it, I've been researching skydiving schools here in, here in San Diego. My wife's not thrilled about it, but I've been telling her I need to pick up a new hobby. And so we'll, we'll see how that goes. More on that later. Um, anyway, but I want to say thank you for tuning in. It really was such an honor to speak with John Wolf. I really, I think he's one of the guys that's really changed the way we're looking at fitness. And you're going to be seeing a lot more out of on it. You know, they got a couple deals working on. I, I, you know, they've, they've been privy to a little bit of background information. I can't really go into detail about them, but I know that in the next six to 12 months, you're going to be seeing a lot more about on it. Not just if you're a Joe Rogan fan, but if you're a fitness consumer, if, you, if you're really into fitness, if you enjoy working out, go check them out on it, O N N I T.com. You know, I, you know, I'm a fan of their supplements. I use them on a regular basis. No, they're not paying me to say that. I just happen to like their products and think that they work. So anyway, thanks for stopping by All About Fitness. My name is Pete McCall. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. My Twitter handle is PeteMC underscore fitness. My Instagram handle is Pete McCall underscore fitness. I try to put out relevant fitness information on both. I do a lot of blogging. I blog on my own website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. So you can check that regularly for blogs. I'm trying to post one or two a week. And I also blog for the American Council on Exercise. So if you want to read the science, about the science, I write a lot about the science of how our body adapts to exercise. You can read that on the American, American Council on Exercise. That's acefitness.org. Anyway, thanks for stopping by. If you have any questions or comments or any you know, guests you'd like me to book, you can reach me at Pete McCall. I'm sorry, you can reach me at Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. My email is Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. A huge thank you to John Wolf. A huge shout out to Onnit. And thanks for stopping by All About Fitness. And look forward to having you cruise by for other episodes in the future. 